Okay, folks, back here in studio, very excited to be joined by Senator Lisa Murkowski. How are you doing, Senator? Well, I'm doing good. It's first of the year. We made it through Christmas, made it through the New Year's. I uh, I kind of tweaked my knee. Uh, Ooh. Going down, of course, it's always the last run of the day. And uh, when you're skiing with your son, who's a former racer, and we say just one more run on style hung was not a good idea. So I ended up going down in the... In the toboggan, but I'm walking. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing This was okay. recently? Yeah. Was this reported or? Well, it depends who you report it to. I reported it to my, my favorite uh, orthopedic doc and he checked me out. So, But it wasn't in the media. I've never, I didn't know. No, I'm not going to tell you that because I don't want people telling me I shouldn't be going up and skiing. But normally somebody might see it. They say, I saw Murkowski on a. Oh, th- believe me. I think the Aldous Ski Patrol talked about it. It's like, she's back. So this was so. pretty. Recently, or yeah, this was just uh, just right after Christmas. Yeah. Wow, well, you're you're doing okay. Yeah, you know what? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I'm just. I skied a lot growing up. I haven't gone as much lately, but oh. you know, I've I've had I that last it. run where you do one more and yeah. it's inevitable where something happens. And it was such a great Alaska day. I started off snowshoeing and then cross country, and then I got to go downhill, and then I had to stop. So. So are you on a? A ski break, or what's I'm just the... going to take a couple of weeks off. Just nice. let it, uh, just let it get better. When do you? So you're in Anchorage now. We're in the studio. What are mm-hmm. you? By the way, you're the second. Super great look. I am so impressed. This is like, this is like really uptown or downtown. I'm never quite sure what the distinction is between uptown and downtown, but it's first class. Let's just say it that. You're the second one we've done this style with the kind of the podcast uh-huh. with video. The first one was your friend Andrew Helcrow for we did a holiday uh, special. Andrew has so much to say and is such a such a good friend of mine. You know, we served together and the legislature started out uh, together. And in fact, I just had a chance to catch up with him yesterday too. But um, still has good, strong vision for Alaska and for for Anchorage. He does have a lot to say. <laughs> he does have a lot to <laughs> no, say. No shortage of things to say. Well, you know, it's uh, it's it's important that we we have a place to kind of share some of the the concerns um but also also some of the solutions and i think you've you've got somebody like andrew who in my view um is not afraid to to put some some ideas forward some solutions forward well there's so many people in politics that i deal with all the time who are they say one thing privately but then you've probably deal with this a lot but then they say the opposite or Mm -hmm. they won't say it publicly right because they're scared of the reaction or this but constituency whatever it might be so, um, well, I do want to talk to you about it's January 7th, so it's one year mm-hmm. since January 6th, and I don't mm-hmm. want to go into, we t- talked about that on our last podcast a while back about what happened, but I do want to a- ask you about, th- there's been, um, I think, some downplaying of this by some Republicans. I mean, Ted Cruz today was on Tucker Carlson. He referred to the people who, you know, attacked the police as domestic terrorists, and he went on Tucker Carlson to more or less walk it back and say, it was well, it wasn't just... It was just the people who attacked, but everybody else were kind of fine. They were patriots. And then you have um, this commission in the House I want to ask you about, and just several people who kind of downplay it as no big deal. And I think to you it was a big big deal. deal. It was a big deal. It was an attack 
on our capital. When you have when you have rioters storming through the capital, desecrating the property, chanting, hang Mike Pence. When you have when you have the violence that we saw, I mean, you can't undo that. You can't erase it. You can't say that didn't happen, or if it did happen, it wasn't, it wasn't really intended, and so therefore it wasn't that bad. You know, the passage of time can kind of soften things, but the facts still remain the facts. There was an effort There was a concentrated effort, and we're learning more day by day through this commission. I wish it had been a commission that that was wholly sanctioned by the whole Congress rather than than, uh, uh, just a majority of Democrats. But we're, we're learning more and more that this was a concerted effort to thwart an election. Well, front, I don't know if you saw Frontline just came out with a two-hour special on it and some of the, going back in time and tracing some of the groups. Um, yeah, this was, not, this was not just kind of spontaneous combustion down uh, at, 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 the, at the area where the president was speaking. This was, look, look at what we are now learning about what was put in place, and that's why, that's why I supported uh, an actual commission to be stood up because we need to understand what not only happened on that day, but what happened before January 6th, what led up to that, what took place, because what we cannot have is a repeat of what we saw on January 6th. So, so Liz Cheney was on the Daily podcast recently, and they talked about they couldn't get the full congressional commission, so the, Demo- the House did one, and then they were going to have it, fit, you know, even with representation, but then a few of the Republicans, I guess they didn't want because maybe they were... I think they were afraid of repercussion. So then they, now it's this committee with mostly Democrats, yeah. and is a, is a, is a concern going to be, well, now it's more p- partisan, more politics, and nobody's going to really... It, it, it almost defeats the purpose of the investigation because you have... You have those who said, we don't want to have a commission because there are committees that can do this. There are others that can do this. So this is just duplicative. We don't need it. We don't need it. Well, you, you didn't go ahead with an independent commission like we did after 9-11. Mm. You went ahead with what they could do, which is unfortunately a primarily partisan effort. So when that report comes out, and as we're seeing it unfold, you're seeing the criticism from the right saying, "Oh, well, it's just a it's just a partisan witch hunt." Well, what do well you- we we could have kept it from being so if we had taken, I think, the responsible step, which would have been an independent commission. What do you think? So after it happened, uh, Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham, um, Mitch McConnell, many other Republicans spoke pretty hard about against what happened, mm-hmm. and it was seemed like that was kind of the narrative and then Ken McCarty went to Mar-a-Lago and I think kind of maybe rehabilitated or, or kind of put Trump back into the mix. And then now it's a very different narrative. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? You know what? 
the facts remain the facts. And we were all there. We were all there in that same place. We were there in that fishbowl when you could hear the rioters through the closed door. You, we were there when the sergeant of arms was screaming to the rafters to close, lock the doors in the gallery where the press were sitting. We were all there when we were told to exit quickly and uh, with urgency to run through the underground to a safe and secure location. But don't tell anyone where you're going, we were advised. We were all there when we were told, no, you've got to move, move, move. You know, the, the facts don't change. Your narrative about the facts, that's what you can control. Some, the some facts people are, don't change. Some people are very good at that. Uh, I want to ask you, speaking of former President Trump, uh, he came out recently with a kind of bizarre press release that he's endorsing Mike Dunleavy for governor with the caveat that Mike Dunleavy doesn't endorse you for Senate. Did you see the press release? They spelled Anwar and 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 like Anwar War. Sadat. Yeah, W A R like Sadat. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> That's a fitting. You know. <laughs> it is. That's very fitting. Yeah. Um, so it was weird, and mm-hmm. people wrote about it, and, and I saw it, and then about a week later, Dunleavy didn't didn't say okay, he but he said you got nothing to worry about, which means he's not going to. And he probably never was, but now he's kind of acquiescing to Trump. But I want to ask you about that. But I also want to ask about the budget, which just came out, the governor's budget. And in the operating and capital budget, there's hundreds of millions of dollars of one-time COVID money to offset the, the UGF or the Unrestricted General Fund. Mm-hmm. There's no revenues, new revenues, and a 50-50 dividend. So the governor or the governor is saying, don't worry, Trump, I'm not going to endorse Murkowski. But then his budget reflects a lot of money that I would say it's fair to say you help secure. That seems to be a very convoluted, complicated scenario. I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, it is complicated. Um, And, you know, on the endorsement part, I, first of all, I did think that the, that the uh, conditional endorsement was actually very bizarre. Have you ever heard of such thing? No, I've never heard of such a thing. And, uh, you know, here's, here's the facts. Um, the governor, it's the governor's prerogative to endorse whomever he will want, as it is my prerogative to endorse whoever I may want. I think the difference is, is my endorsement is not for sale. It's just, it's just not. So this is kind of a, a weird place for us to be anyway. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. And and I don't think, frankly, he would have endorsed you because Mike Dunleavy kind of built up your now main opponent, Kelly Chewbacca, by making her commissioner. And then, you know, then she goes to run and now she's having this fundraiser with Trump. So, um, I guess you have to work with the governor, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it must be, Mm -hmm. it must be awkward. Well, and I do have to work for the, with the governor and, and, and have done so and will continue to do so. What we are all trying to do is we're trying to, I believe, 
work in our state's best interest. That's job number one. And so whether I'm working with Governor Dunleavy or whether I'm working with President Biden, I'm, I'm going to work with them to advance Alaska's best interest. That's my job. That's what the people of Alaska have asked me to do, and, and, and that's what I will continue to do. Um, you know, the, the governor's got, he, he's got <clears throat> some politics that he's got to work through. Um, uh, the issue with the dividend is, is one that <laughs> I'm, I'm always advised, oh, stay out of that, Lisa. That's a state <laughs> issue. But, you know, I'm an Alaskan, and well, I care, too. Well, you were there in 2000 when it was uh, same, the same conversation, the identical conversation. The identical conversation. And you know what? The solutions are still the same. Well, there's a report that Andrew Helker gave me many years ago, the Fiscal Policy Caucus, which you were part of. I was part of and that. I, it's actually yeah. have it, I have it in here. And if you take out the dates, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. And, and so... We know what the solutions are. So the solutions, as, as we think about, uh, as we think about um, our state and, and, and advancing our opportunities, I'm, I'm doing my darndest every day to, to put in front of us those opportunities for us to build on our assets, to be more resilient, to be more independent. And so the work that I did on the infrastructure bill, pretty significant, and quite honestly, I'm very, very proud of what I put in place for Alaska within that bill. I'm, I'm equally very proud of what, what I did, along with the rest of the delegation, to, to try to get a little bit of tourism back in mm-hmm. the state last summer. So what, what I got to do is figure out how we work through those. I, I, I worry, though, as a state, that when, when you, uh, you advance a budget that does rely on just one-time monies. And, and again, uh, some of what we're, we're looking at are, these are, the, these are COVID dollars. Um, some of those COVID dollars um, are, are, are without restriction, others or not. Others are not. And so we need to be careful about that. But I also think that we need to be careful about how we are planning long-term whether it's COVID dollars or whether it's infrastructure funds from this infrastructure package, these are not things that you can count on on a recurring basis. So well, what are we going to do to leverage them for the long term? So when you use them for one budget year, we, we want to we make sure that we're, we're, we're thinking long term here. Well, you served in the legislature, and your your dad was governor, so you're familiar with how this works. It, it's an election year, and we called it, you know, I've called it an election year budget because many of the uh, cuts that were proposed years ago are now in there. It's kind of everybody gets something, but it is relying heavily. Um, I think three, almost four hundred million dollars in the operating, and then another couple hundred in the in the capital of of the of the federal dollars, and that's. That's nice, short term, yeah. but again, it's the same problem we see where every time it seems to get pushed back to the future, out to the future, and then it's up to the next folks to deal with it. Well, again, I'm not governor. I'm not in the legislature. I am a, in, the, in the federal, uh, federal legislative branch, and that's my focus, but um, it is going to be important for for the administration, for the state administration, and for the state legislature to be looking to be looking critically at how we can leverage these infrastructure dollars, how we 
how we get through COVID. We all had hoped, we all had hoped that we would have COVID in the rearview mirror. And, and here we are with, with Omicron as vibrant as, as we could ever have dreamed of. Um, nobody wants this right now, but we are still living through this. So how we are budgeting and budgeting responsibly, how we're taking advantage, again, significant, significant dollars coming to our state. It, it has been described by, by, by several that I have talked with as, you know, this is, this is akin to, to, the, to the oil boon back in, uh, you know, five decades, four decades ago, mm-hmm. uh, that we've got an opportunity in front of us. So what are we doing to tee ourselves up to, to gain most leverage? To build out things that are going to be giving a return on investment for decades to come, not just for one budget year. Well, in the 80s, there was the crash and there was the bumper sticker, give us another boon, we won't piss it away. Yep. I remember that. In fact, I wasn't. Andrew and I were talking about that bumper sticker just last night. So um, I want to talk, you mentioned the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, that guidance comes out, I think, in April or May. What You put out a press release a while back kind of highlighting some of the Alaska yeah. projects and you had that press conference. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of maybe high level of what, how much money I know it's in the billions and then where you think that's going to end up be, you know, being yeah. spent and, and who's going to, is it legislature? Is it governor? Is it both? <clears throat> there is, um, there's not only guidance that's going to be coming out, which I think is going to be highly anticipated, but I think it's important for, for people to understand that some of this funding is coming to us through formula dollars. So we know as a state what we might be able to anticipate. Uh, We know what the process is. But there's a lot of this that comes through grant, and therefore you've got to make application. And this is where I keep urging Alaskans. I keep talking to the community saying, we got to be competitive in this. And you have to remember that as with many, many federal dollars, they, they, they do not come completely strings unattached. Um, uh, oftentimes, these will require matching grant. So as you as a community are, are looking at those projects that are going to be a priority and you think, aha, there is a, there's an opportunity for us, whether it is, it is uh, within transportation or whether it is uh, within um, you know, what we might be able to do with, with broadband uh, or water and, and wastewater. But in order for us to, to receive this grant, we know that we have to kick in, say, $750,000. Mm-hmm. What if we don't have it? What if we haven't budgeted? Well, some people so have, we need to be thinking about that proactively. Some people have brought up, you know, the money is great, but then what's the long-term maintenance cost of exactly. that money and maintaining it? Um, I want to ask you, there's a lot of money. There's, you know, with TARP, more than 10 years ago, 12 years ago, yeah, it was in the hundreds that, yeah. of billion. Now we're in the mm-hmm. trillions and it mm-hmm. keeps coming. I don't know if you remember, but in March of 20, the CARES Act got going and we, there was a phone call with you and Senator Sullivan and the media and at the time, I asked you about inflation. Yep. And this yeah. is almost two years ago, and, yep. and you were you were concerned about it. We're at a 40-year high in inflation. Things like vehicles and other things are up huge. Yep. 
Um, if you can a, get them. If you can find them. I mean, people are, mm-hmm. people are now almost buying, you know, used cars to, to hold, hold the money, you know, because right. they're going up so fast. I interviewed my friend Paul Johnson. He's the economics chair at UAA, um, my old professor, and we talked mm-hmm. a lot about this. Um, it's one of the things, no matter what the government says, we all know things cost more. And what do you think the long-term, you know, we don't want to go back to the 70s or 80s when you have 20% interest right. rates, but there's so much more money um, combined with this supply shortage. There's less things being mi- made. There's higher de- there's demand issues, and it's all contributing to the inflation. So what 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 is being done about dealing with this? Well, and uh, in, in fairness, that was... That is one of the reasons why when we were focusing on this infrastructure package, we really keyed in on what is it that can build that long-term value. It's a road that's going to be mm-hmm. there. It's going to be water and wastewater systems that will be there for, for, for decades to come. It is the broadband infrastructure that will, will be that lasting benefit, if you will. That's not again, kind of one-time money. That's not the, the shot in the arm that when I give you a, a, uh, an enhanced, um, say, for instance, a, a child, tax, uh, child tax credit. Um, there's a difference between that because what we focused on was making sure that we were not going to be contributing to inflationary pressure. The Build Back Better, That's what I was which, is, bring which up. is, it's still, it's still out there. It's kind of on... It's kind of on pause right now as the Democrats figure out if there is a way to, to get Joe Manchin to, to turn around on, on this. My hope is that he stays true to what he has said, uh, that this doesn't make sense for the people of, of West Virginia, and he's very concerned about the inflationary aspect of it, and he wants there to be kind of truth in, in, in budgeting. There, don't get me wrong, there are... There are there are pieces of, of Build Back Better that, that are they're good, they're solid. There's some things that I think we can work on. But as a whole, what you're talking about is, is somewhere in the range between three and you know, four and a half, maybe more trillion dollars additionally to everything else that has been spent. And again, keep in mind, these are not, this is not necessarily spending on something that is going to be there for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years. This is a payment that goes out today for a family to go out and buy more of something that is not on the shelves right now because you've got short supply, short supply because of your supply chain issues. So if you want to think, if you want to look to things that will only increase inflationary pressure the build back better is is a real real liability in that in that sense well, you uh you, you got ahead of me because that was my next topic so i wanted to ask you about joe manchin so you all the republicans are have said they're against it the democrats had 50 with vice president harris could break the vote mm-hmm. um he's come out and did the interview and said no um What's your relationship with Joe Manchin? How, how well do you know him? And do you guys talk about this? And then what's, what, what do you think is going to end up in this next you know, session coming up? Yeah. Well, Joe, Joe Manchin is a friend of mine. I got to know him um, very well when I was chairman of the Energy Committee, and he was uh, my, my ranking member. Uh, we've traveled together. Uh, he's come to Alaska. I've gone to West Virginia. 
Um, our states are very similar in that they're they're very much resource based. We have populations that um, uh, are are vulnerable populations that have um, um, some of the some of the, mm-hmm. the highest poverty levels in in the country. So there's a lot that we can relate to from a from from policy perspective. Um, and Joe is a guy who's just going to tell it to you as it is. And yes, I have had many, many conversations um, with Joe Manchin about um, the Build Back Better. We worked side by side in this infrastructure bill. He was one of our group of 10. And so it, it became very clear to me those things that he was supportive of and worked very hard to to achieve and and others where uh, there, may have, there may be support for the policy, but why? Why does it have to be rolled into a huge omnibus package with no, no uh, uh, process through any committee? Uh, no, in his, you know, I, I, I don't mean to put words in anybody else's mouth, but he, he was very concerned about the fact that there, was, there were budget gimmicks that he felt were being played, that it wasn't truth in accounting, that uh, they were putting a program in place, and in order to get the cost down, we're saying it, we're just going to have it in place for a year, knowing full well that mm. once you get it in, you're going to be paying for it for the next 10 years. And he says, we've got to be honest about that. Very hard to get rid of a Very hard to get rid program. of that. And so he, he was just talking, in my view, he was talking truth to what he saw. And, and he... He's, he's got a tough constitution, he's got a strong backbone, and he said, you know, if I can't justify this to the people of West Virginia, then I can't vote for it. And he was pretty direct. There was no, there mm-hmm. was no uh, wink and a nod and saying something to one side and then not the other. He's been pretty, pretty upfront. I think that Joe Biden has given us a gift in, I've said that again, I think Joe Manchin is giving us a gift when when he said, this is, this is not what needs to pass into law. Uh, we, have not, we have not done the work that we need on this. It's, it's and he in, put it on pause. It's incredible. I mean, I see this in the Alaska legislature. Sometimes one person has, because it's so close, has so much ability to you know, sway the direction. But, you know, keep in mind, we talk about the majorities and the minorities all the time. That's that's how it's divided in the Senate. That's how it's divided in the Congress. Um, the Democrats have a majority, not because they have more senators. They have a majority because they have the vice president. But it's 50-50 in the Senate. Mm-hmm. It's 50-50. So that's the thing I wanted to ask you is I think it's no secret the Republican Party is very divided and that gets talked about a lot. But the Democratic Party is also very divided. Very divided. And, you know, you have kind of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, and I guess it's the squad, you know, in, in the House. And you have some more, you know, Manchin and maybe Chris, Kristen Cinema, and other people. And you have a very progressive wing, and you have a very um, maybe more moderate wing. And that's manifesting itself in the party. And you know Joe Biden. You were in the Senate with him. What, what, what do you think? How is he? He seems to be in a very difficult position because— he got elected with all the Democrats kind of coming to the table, but now the very progressive ones are very loud. Right. And they're putting huge pressure on him. And 
he doesn't strike me as, I mean, he was very good friends with Ted Stevens. He came here when Ted Stevens died. Yeah, he gave an extraordinary eulogy for Ted. He's not, if you look back and re- watch his stuff from the past, he's not a kind of hardcore progressive person. Well, I, I do think that your assessment is, is, is on track. Uh, I think there is a, a wing of the, of the Democratic Party, a, a progressive wing that is, is um, not only applying a lot of pressure, but is very, very vocal and, um, and, and being heard within the White House. Uh, and I think we see the implications of that uh, in a state like Alaska, where we're, we're a resource-rich, resource we're a resource-producing state. And, and so what we have seen is pressure to, uh, to, to shut down resource production in this country by those who believe that in order to address climate change, the only way to do it is just keep everything in, mm-hmm. in the ground, um, which is not the only way to address climate change. In fact, it is a sure way to destroy your economy, your nation's economy. And uh, I think, I think the Biden administration is in a really bad spot right now with how how they're going to govern a country and lead it to economic prosperity if they're going to listen to to the progressive voices that say you have to shut it down because if you shut down resource activity resource production we we are we are so vulnerable. We're screwed in Alaska. We are so vulnerable as a nation. Alaska is screwed, yes, but we're so vulnerable as a nation. Think about how how our energy wealth has protected us. It's not only helped with jobs and an economy, but it has allowed us to to ble- to be that 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 global leader when it comes to to how we're able to, to share our, our oil wealth, our gas wealth, our mineral wealth. Well, as soon as you start choking that off, we not only can't share it with our friends and allies, but we then have to go hat in hand to countries that we don't like. We have doubled our, our, uh, 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 the volume of oil that comes in from Russia since Biden took office. We got to get it from somewhere. Well, it's, no, we should be getting it from Alaska, not, it's not the been, guys fifty-seven miles away from us here. It's not been so long ago that we were um, exporting, net, net yeah. exporter. It's funny. I, I feel like you stole my notes. Because I didn't. You're, I didn't you're, peek at your notes. <laughs> I promise. You you segued in again to the. I want to ask you about um, the the energy in Alaska yeah. and, for example, the Willow that decision on Willow and Conoco's having to deal with that. There's this oil search and now I guess Santos, which. Oddly enough, I lived in Darwin, Australia for three months, and Santos is big yeah. in Australia, yeah. and they were kind of like the Conoco here. They're very involved. They're mm-hmm. su- you know, you know, they're supporting all kinds of things in the arts. So, um, but it, it's we're not nearly the administration is not nearly as friendly to Alaska as we've seen with you know 
Trump administration right. or previous administrations. What what is you know that outlook for our energy federal energy projects where we're seeing a a big curtailment of advancement of um you know things that could put a lot of oil in the pipeline. Well, I think what needs to be impressed and reinforced is that a project like Willow, a project that has been underway not only for years, but through successive administrations. The Willow Project began in the Clinton administration, and it worked its way through the Obama administration and the Trump administration, and now it's in the Biden administration. So long. It's so long, but, but think about it. Think about... Think about the, the, the history of the National Petroleum Reserve Alaska itself that was designated specific and separate from, from the rest of the coastal plain for oil and gas development. And, and then you had, again, successive administrations moving this through the process to where we are today. Now... I have, I have been following this and bird-dogging this and making sure that every single person in the administration knows that Willow must be a priority, must be a priority not only to completion, but completion in, in a time period that, that meets the urgency mm-hmm. of, of the moment. And the urgency of the moment is... We're, as, as a nation, again, we have extraordinary resource opportunity and potential. And how we, are, how we access it and the way that it benefits us matters to our economic strength. We cannot be in a position in Alaska where with the resources that we have, we, we cannot proceed to development within the NPRA following the level of review and, and uh, regulatory compliance that the companies have gone through to get us to where we are now. So I'm staying on this with everything that I have. Every single person in my office is engaged in this. I am personally engaged at the highest level. And uh, there's, there is, this is, needs to be an all-in effort. From, from all of us. You know, one of the things that I think is important to, to, to raise here, um, this administration has, has taken a very, um, uh, I think a very focused approach to ensuring what they're referring to as environmental justice. When I think about, um, when I think about the benefits that have come to the most vulnerable of our communities and villages, uh, those who didn't have running water, who didn't have health clinics, who didn't have schools, um, and the, the value that has come because of the state's prosperity with oil, that has created a level of environmental justice. It would be environmental injustice mm-hmm. if, if we were to, to dial Alaska's potential back. And that's what Willow is, is really Alaska's potential. Well, I think we're getting the probably five-minute signal. I was going to go into 
I wanted to ask you about the divide in the country and <laughs> where that. Oh, that's that, a quick one. To yeah, answer. that's so. Maybe we'll. Maybe next time we'll. I want to talk about yeah. that. But maybe by then it'll all be fine. Boy, you can oh. tell I woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. Really optimistic yeah. today. It's uh, yeah. January seventh. So. Oh man. Uh, last thing I want to ask you is your state director now, former state director Layla Kimbrell, just right. took the job at RDC as executive director. She'll do a great job there. She's so, done a great job for me. Yeah, and she's been there for over four years. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then she had been with me back in Washington, D.C. as well. So I wanted to ask yeah. you if I'm hearing some chatter, there's yeah. a big name, or is there going to make an announcement? Or I am not going to make an announcement today, but it will be made very soon, and I can tell you uh, eyeball to eyeball that it is, a, uh, it is an individual uh, that is, is well-known around circles, and I am extraordinarily pleased that, um, that they will be able to, to, to be in this position uh, in the state. I keep hearing big name, so hopefully pretty soon you'll, you'll tell us. It, it shouldn't be too much longer. Other thing is, you know, your campaign, you f- formally announced. Uh, right. I was out there, it was a few months or a month ago maybe, when was that, November? Or it just? was November. It was... We went over to the kind of small group over there, yeah. the Division of Elections. It was about a month or so ago, yeah. But the F... I should remember the date. It was, um, I'm trying to remember, it was before Thanksgiving, I think. But the, uh, maybe it was around Thanksgiving. It, yeah, it was, it was around it Thanksgiving. It was about a week before, yeah. yeah. So the FEC reports are coming out soon. Yeah. Um, you haven't named a campaign manager yet. Another question yeah. I want to, yeah. do you have an announcement for that uh, yet? Or? Uh, in, in Senate talk, that uh, announcement is coming imminently. We use Ooh. the word imminent a lot. That's, um, a, that's a scary word sometimes. Yeah, I know. Imminent threat or, you know. Uh, yeah. But no, um, I, I do have, uh, I, I have um, brought, or I have not announced, but I am bringing on uh, an individual that will head my campaign. Again, it's somebody that I'm really pleased uh, with what they will bring to, to the table and, and the direction. So um, we're getting moving on on the campaign front um uh it's i've I've said before um i think that people get really tired of campaigns that seem to go on forever and ever and ever and that's why i wanted to to defer for a while before i made my official announcement i figure a full year out is plenty of time and uh and so we're we're starting to get geared up but i I am very cognizant mm-hmm. that uh, these campaigns seem to go on forever. This year, of course, is going to be a busy one for everybody. It's not just the Senate race that's open. It's uh, it's the it's the, the our congressional seat. It's the governor. It's just about every every legislator given uh, redistricting. So it's going to be a busy, busy year. It's funny if that all holds. I know there's some legal yeah. challenges, but yeah. the only person not up is Donnie Olson, who. Who I How did back, he draw that lucky straw? Well, I went back and checked. In 2002 redistricting, uh-huh. he was also the only person. No not, kidding. Yes, yeah. I had no Because his district idea. is basically up there. It doesn't really change much. It's yeah. that north, west, north, and north, you know. So twice he's gotten a buy. Yeah. Isn't that something? That district is like, that Senate district's bigger than like half the states. It's, well, yeah. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. So I know you got to go. It's just, a good thing he's got his own airplane. He does, and he's mm-hmm. a helicopter too. He's doing, he's oh, doing all of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I know you got to run last kind of just high level on this, you know, single primary rank choice. Yeah. Um, we've discussed that before. Maybe later we can do this again and talk about that in more detail. But mm-hmm. that, that is a very different system. Um, what's your 
is part of your campaign strategy going to be because you have the division of elections and these groups have supported it. But right. my concern is people aren't, if they don't know, they're going to go in there and think like, what is this ballot with these numbers and rankings? So what's your campaign strategy going to be? Well, it, I think part of what we will incorporate into our campaign is this is going to be, a, it's going to look a little bit different. And, uh, and just looking different shouldn't intimidate anybody. It shouldn't scare you away. It shouldn't make you say, oh, maybe I don't want to do this. Um, and, but, but changes is, uh, is, is hard for some folks, and we get that, and we understand it. But I think our, our effort needs to be to make it more familiar to people, uh, be there to answer the questions that, that they have, and, and incorporate that in part of our messaging strategy. You will recall in, in 2010, uh, in that general, we had, to, we had to not only remind people why they wanted to vote for me, what I had done for them, and why I deserved a, another, another opportunity, but we had to teach them how to do a write-in. And, and you I, would say, well, you just write in the name. But no, you don't. And how to spell your name. You, it was a two-fold process. You had, to, you had to write it. You had to write it in. So you had to spell it correctly. So we had to teach them how to spell Lisa Murkowski because we didn't want to take any chances on a misspelling. But we also had to teach them or remind them that you have to fill in the oval. Because if you spelled my name 100% correctly, but you didn't fill in the oval, it didn't count. And that was one of our big fears, was that people were going to get all, oh, I know how to spell Murkowski, and then they forget to fill in the oval. So with our, with our fancy little bangle bracelets. I, I remember those, yeah. It was, and you know, it was the, our campaign motto was fill it in, write it in. Fill it in, write it in. And people are like, well, that's not so hard. I can do that. And then we had the little bubble filled in with Lisa Murkowski. But we've done a little bit of education in a campaign before. And so I think we're going to look at that and say maybe we need to do a little education on this process in this well, campaign. In that case, you only had a few months from the primary to the general. Five now weeks. Five weeks. Now there's more more time. So yeah. well, I know you got to go. I appreciate the time. And Good. hopefully we'll do this again. And welcome back to. Good luck in Juno. Oh, boy. It's going to be fun down there. Oh, you're coming down for the... I'm going to be there in February. You'll, you'll do your address to the, the legislature? Yeah. yeah, so we'll see you then. I'll be down there. Maybe we'll get together and do, do another one of these. I'll have a little office down there now. This, yeah. this I'm, It probably won't be as fancy as this it's one. Not good. It's much smaller, but it's finally yeah. a, a space where I don't have to worry about getting set up and running Bring around. your fancy microphones. Yeah, so this is the really <laughs> this is the really fancy one I got here, the, the RE20. So I have, oh, to, I have yeah. to buy more of these and make sure every, every guest has the... You, you have a nice one too, though. Yours. I, I think mine's worked just yours, fine. Yours is great. Well, it's thank, been good to be back with you. Thanks again, Senator Murkowski, thank and uh, keep us updated on what's happening in right. DC, and we'll, we'll see you again. Okay. Again, okay. folks, I want to thank Lisa Murkowski for coming in and doing the interview. And um, if you have uh, if you have any need for any kind of uh, studio space or anything, get get a hold of us because we're also renting this facility out, and we're happy to do that. So thanks again. It's a good again. place. There's a ringing endorsement from Senator Murkowski. And last one, I want to thank our our main sponsor, GCI for. I was wondering if that there was you go. purposeful here. I want to thank our big sponsor, GCI, for, for uh, making interviews and videos and podcasts like this possible. So thanks again, and stay tuned for more uh, interviews with uh, great elected officials. Landline.